Hello? Hello, do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, yes. Do you hear uh, me? Yes, it's Ostap, the Russian journalist. Yes, he was uh, just talking to my daughter. Yeah, but, I understood yes. it. Can we start? Yes, of course. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say thank you because I uh, really enjoyed your book and it's probably the best book I read this year, so thank you for it. Yes. The first question uh, will be kind of personal because I've read in a Russian Wikipedia, I do not know where they took it from, uh, that uh, you had a depression uh, like in the beginning of this century and uh, you started to write down stories from your childhood. And that's how this Doghead book started. Uh, it's not exactly the stories of your childhood, no. but it no. was like something like influence and inspiration. Is it true? Yes, you know. I started, you know, I think it was in a few years before I began to write Doghead. Then I, I had this depression and I sat down and I wrote some a couple of hundred pages about my own childhood and so on. And it was a very uh, private and not literary project. But it kind of inspired me uh, to begin to write Dorkit afterwards, to use my family stories in another way than, than when I was doing this more therapeutic, therapeutic uh, uh, work. So in my mind, it's quite separated. Although I, there's a big inspiration from my own family, from my own family and my own family stories, um, and just as Björk, the narrator or the, the storyteller. In the, the family story, family Eriksson storyteller was is the big storyteller of the family Eriksson in Dorket, and my grandmother was um, the big storyteller in my family. And she told me when I was telling a lot of stories about my family, which originates from Norway, the same way as family Eriksson. Well, I've always known that at least since I began to write myself that there was a kind of a treasury of good stories in my own family that I would like to take up and do something with as literature at some point or other. So there's a clear inspiration from my from my own family, but it's not the story of my own family. It's because it was quite important for me what really happened didn't uh, become a kind of, kind of a straitjacket for the good stories. You know, the biographical content in Dorkit uh, should be a kind of a, a inspiration source among other inspiration sources and not a limitation. Mm -hmm. So it, I was very aware of that when I was uh, writing the novel. In this book, there are some real-life stories, but it's not like stories from your family. It's stories that somebody from your family told, something like that. Yes, you could say that there's a quite muddy, uh, it's quite a muddy uh, relationship between what really happened and, and the truth in the novel. And sometimes after having, it took me four years to write the novel, sometimes I become in doubt myself about what is true and what is fiction in the novel. So you could say I've used my family stories as building bricks uh, to create a new story. So there's a lot of true content and not true stories, which, which is a, it's not the same story. So I have elaborated on them and, and used my fantasy, and then they become other kind of stories. But still, you know, the emotional contents in, in many of the stories are quite, or the emotional climate in many of the stories are quite, quite similar to the emotional climate in my own family. Uh, can I ask if it's not too personal question, could you give an example of one of the stories that really happened not like maybe not in your family but like in uh, in real world and how it transformed in your book? Well, you know, just as my grandfather was, uh, just as Askil was a, a pris mm -hmm. prisoner in a German concentration camp during the Second World War and for almost the same reasons as, as Askil. So, especially as the Askil uh, character in, in the novel, I've used my grandfather a lot in that character. And the closer we get to the prison, the more fiction mm -hmm. there is in, in the no novel. But 
just like Askey right, from escaped from the camp and he was caught again and and he had the same stories about bloodhounds that found him. Not in the same way because in my family my, my grandfather, you know, years in in German concentration camp was something that he would only speak about when he was drunk, just as just Askill. So I also had to use my own imagination to to fill up these dark areas, dark dark lagoons in, in family stories. Uh-huh. So, uh, part of your family comes from yes. Norway, the Norwegians? Yes. My, my family originates from Norway the same way as family X. And my father was Norwegian. He came to Denmark when he was similar the same age as, uh, as Jokias in the novel. Norway in your book looks kind of like a lost paradise because this Bergen is uh, described in uh, very like minute details and with much love and Denmark in the book is more like more generic as I would say it's not so detailed uh, do you feel some I don't know some desire to urge to go to Norway do you feel it as your like prehistoric home I would say no, I would say more that I don't know. Well, my grandmother told me a lot of stories from Bergen when, when I was a child. So it's quite, a, in my family and also in the family, and you know, it's kind of lost paradise. You know, things were good in, in, in back old days, and uh, there's a lot of details there. And it was the same thing in my family. You know, my grandmother was talking about her childhood in Bergen and, uh, and the family life in Bergen before they went to Denmark. So it's kind of a thing, just a thing happened. You know, you get this special, see the, the, the law. Most, uh, homeland in a special light when you immigrate to another country, I think. And uh, have you been uh, in Bergen yourself? Did you go there when you wrote the novel? Well, I was there a few times as a child on vacation with my parents, but only when I was, I was a child. And then I actually was uh, thinking about going to Bergen when I was writing Docket, but actually decided to not to go to do research because, you know, it was more... Well, I didn't want my story to be disturbed by the meaning with, you uh-huh. know, concrete facts about Bergen, Bergen, about how the, the streets are and how things are, you know. It was more on this, this fairytale-like uh, light. I, I wanted to see the town. So I quite consciously didn't went back to Bergen when I was writing the novel. Then I was in Bergen after it was published in Norway in connection with some promotion tours from Dorkid in Norway. So it was quite fun to get back and, uh, and see uh, a town I have written so much about without being there. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Why is the scary thing in your novel is specifically Dockhead? Well, actually, it's, you know, it's, it's Dorkid in many ways uh, novels about how all the tensions and, and, and dysfunction and kind of psychological jets are passed down from generation to generation. And Dorkid is kind of, you know, Dorkid is a... The big dark area that the family life is circling about is, is you know, concentration camp. Uh, he is in a concentration camp and, and the sea uh, episode where he was is caused by German bloodhounds. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, why you yourself uh, choose a dog head as a symbol? I oh. mean, like, for, for the name and for their... A lot of, like, macabre things are happening and a lot of, like, uh, dark and strange things are I understand about concentration camp yeah. and about bloodhounds, but like you yourself, why did you choose the, the head of a dog as such a big symbol? Well, uh, it was, you know, dogs was, was, was taking a lot of, of significance in the novel already. And, you know, I think uh, for the character, the narrator of the novel, Esker, it is kind of things in his childhood, you know, he remember, with, remember dogs and bloodhounds and so on as something scary, something with fear. And I think it's kind, kind of natural 
that his own theorists or fantasy beings are having dockets, I think. So it's kind of, you know, a thing that pops up in, in, in his childhood together with his sister, and then the thing that the fantasy being is living under the the base, the essence, the yeah, the, I, I understand the about him. I, I'm asking now about you, not him. I, I mean, was it like a big impression on yours, the stories of your grandfather, or was it uh, something like you was afraid of the dogs or something like that? Why? It's like it's your biggest novel, and uh, the dog hat is the biggest symbol of it. What is it for you personally? For me personally, it's kind of, I think it's, well, it was the kind of thing that popped up during the writing process, but because I didn't have a, there wasn't a fantasy being docked that harmed my uh, childhood. So it was something that just came up too when I was writing, uh-huh. uh, and not something that w- was in me before, you know. Uh, but the way I'm writing is quite intuitive and anarchistic as a uh-huh. part of the party. I didn't have so many ideas before I started to write, so it kind of pops up during the writing process. And docked was fantasy that popped up in, in the stories. Uh, in the so story it was. Yeah. It wasn't like you choose the novel right away, uh, the name for the novel and the symbol right away. It just came to you when you were writing it. Yes, it came to me, and then afterwards, when I was trying to find a title, then I think, oh, Dorket could be a good title for the novel. You know, in Danish, Dorket also is a nickname for someone having stupid. So that's a kind uh-huh. of comical aspect of Dorket, the Dorket title in Danish, uh, uh-huh. which is not able to translate to other languages. <laughs> I didn't know it. It no, uh, really, really adds to the to my to my understanding. So you can call then, but you can call another person a, a dockhead, and then it means that he's kind of behaving or, or stupid and not uh, very clever. Uh, when in Russia or in uh, the United States or in United as uh, the United Kingdom, they write about some Danish or. Uh, an author from Denmark or Sweden or Norway, they always say something about Scandinavian or Nordic literature. So is it, in your opinion, really does some like general Scandinavian or Nordic literature exist or uh, or Danish, Norwegian or Swedish literature are absolutely separated? Well, I think that there is, of course, a common language in, in Scandinavian. You know, we understand each other uh, languages. So there is a kind of literary, connected literary tradition in Scandinavia. But still, well, I don't regard myself as an author that is specially inspired by other Scandinavian authors and quite inspired by authors from, from all over and not just from Scandinavia. What's the main difference between uh, Danish literature and uh, other two literatures like Norwegian and Swedish? Is there any like big difference, and if there is, and what uh, distinct Danish literature, in your opinion? <laughs> it's a quite difficult question. I don't know if I really can ask answer. Maybe. But you, you studied. You studied, as I know, uh, Danish literature. And well, I've studied studying uh, Scandinavian literature. Yes, but well, I don't know. Well, it's quite a difficult question because you know there's quite a many different opinions about it. When I went to Norway, for example, to promote Dogget, they was talking. No, when Dogget came out in Denmark, reviewers said a lot about this was more like you know Norwegian because there's a tradition in Norwegian for telling long, long medical realistic stories, and. and uh, I was recalling Johan Borgum when I when I read it, uh, this uh, Little Lord or however it's called in English, I don't remember. 
this also big big Norwegian saga of the mid 20th century about uh, Norwegian family connected to shipbuilding. Uh, I think so. Well, but the funniest part was actually then, well, it was the Danish review that this was a novel that was not so common in Denmark because we have a more minimalistic tradition in Danish literature this decade. But when then it was published in Norway and all the Norwegian reviewers meant that it was quite Danish because it was the Danes that told this kind of more, more, um, more colorful, long stories. So uh, I think maybe we need to came from outside Scandinavia to really see <laughs> the difference or if there is any difference. I'm not able to tell them. Do you feel yourself like uh, a writer writing in uh, traditions of Scandinavian, like Norwegian or Danish literature? No. Or you? No. Mm-hmm. Well, I always try to get inspiration from as many different authors as possible because then I think it's more uh, easy to find your own voice. But I'm, of course, inspired by you know the whole magical realistic Nazi tradition, you know, able to see a market. Senalusti is one of my my favorite authors. So it's a more not like a more international tradition that I'm inspired by than by Danish or Scandinavian literature. I also read more more translated uh, literature than than Danish literature. Although I've been studying it <laughs> at the university. I've read that. Uh... Every fifth book, like 20% of the books that are sold in Denmark in English, and uh, I read that they are considered dangerous. Do you think it's dangerous for Danish literature? No, I actually don't think. You know, there's a lot of translated literature. I only have a lot of good translators in Denmark. I think over 50% of all uh, all titles that is published in Denmark are translated titles. You know. Also because Denmark is a small country and you, if you want to read good literature, you also have to read translated literature. I don't think, you know, um, although more and more people are able to read uh, in English, uh, read good in English, then there's still a lot of details you don't get if you just read the English. I don't think it's uh, a threat against Danish literature. Uh, <laughs> I also read that in uh, Norway, the the state support writers in the way that it buys like about like uh, five thousand items of every published books to support Norwegian literature. Do they do something like that in Denmark? Once again, I've read just like about a week ago that in yes. Norway, the state buys a, a big chunk of of every like publication of every book. They oh yes, yes, I think it's a lot of reasons. Yeah, they buy it for libraries, but they buy much more than in any other country. Yes. Okay. And yes. do they do something like, uh, is there like state support for in Denmark for uh, literature? For yes, Denmark? there's a quite good state support in literature. There is, first of all, you can just, uh, the libraries are buying some of the uh, copies, and then you get every year when you have novels or books at the library, you get some money for, have, for mm-hmm. it's called library money. <laughs> And I think it's it's a good income for some authors, especially older authors with with mm-hmm. many books behind. And then there's a good you are, there's a lot of what is called well I just miss a word what now you you're able to seek some some foundations for uh, there's a lot of Danish art foundation uh, and literature foundation are giving quite a lot of money for Danish author. Uh, do you think it helps like Danish literature? Yes, it was definitely because you know, uh, well, in every country it's difficult to live off being an author. But you know, Danish, Denmark is quite a 
very mm-hmm. small language area. For many authors, you know, the foundations uh, are, are art and, and literature foundation are actually making the difference between if you can live of being an author or not. So um, I think it makes a, a big difference in, in Danish uh, so Denmark is a small country, and Norway and Sweden are small countries as well, but they are very big in, on the literary map, of, on the map of fiction. I think that's sorry for saying again about Scandinavian literature, but uh, still uh, Scandinavian literature is probably one of the biggest, like uh, one of the most known in the world. How do you think why it happens? Well, I don't know really why, why it happens. I think... Uh... No, the real thing is true, uh, if you write crime fiction, you know, there's a big market for, for Scandinavian crime fiction, but also for, well, actually, I think, you know, there have been some authors uh, crime during the last uh, 20 years that have, have made a difference, you know, for example, Peter Bug, Danish author, which become a bestseller in, in for, for example, uh, in the United States, and I think, you know, there's a few authors who kind of break down the wall for Danish literature. So there's now much Danish and Scandinavian literature. There's now much more translated Scandinavian literature than for 20 years ago, and I think you know there's some a few big uh, Scandinavian authors that have um, mm-hmm. maybe have break down the wall for to for Scandinavian literature. I think it has made a difference. They call uh, some book reviewers call your book magical realism. Uh, magic yes. realism. Do you agree with it? Well, I, I, of course, I'm, trans, uh, I, I'm inspired by the whole uh, medical realistic uh, narrative tradition, but uh, I actually prefer to call it the grotesque realism because I like the grotesque uh, aspect more. And I think, you know, because the, there is some magical aspect in the novel, but, you know, it's more, well, I think grotesque realism is kind of, of catching the, the more rough realism tone in the novel a little bit better than medical realism. Of course, I'm inspired by, by medical realism, yes. And uh, can you name some, name some books that inspired you? Well, I, one of, yes, of course, maybe I have, uh, I, I can have three, if I should mention some, maybe three authors, you know, Sandal Wusti is one of my favorite, favorite authors, especially his, uh, his novel Midnight Children has inspired me quite a lot. Uh, uh, then I've been quite inspired by by John Irving in his way of, especially his his grotesque, his especially view for for the grotesque aspect of life, and his, his way of building up plots. And then I've been quite uh, inspired by an Icelandic author called Einar Gunnarsson, which have a fantastical uh, political vein in his novels and and uh, ability to to write, uh, you know, extremely short. Family sagas, you know, mm-hmm. family sagas for many generations spanned for over only 150 pages or something. In contrast with Samuel uh, uh, novels, but I think it's the three most that inspired me most when I was within Dockhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your book and your novel, every generation, uh, every new generation seems like smaller than the previous one. And up to the point where this uh, Knut Dick is actually smaller than the Dick of his, the round head, or how is it, his name in English, I don't know. No, Adelhead. Uh, uh-huh. Adelhead is called. It's called Adelhead in the English translation. So do you really think that people are like people and their deeds are getting smaller with the time? 
No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so it just was like a literary device. Oh, it's just a good story, I think. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's like in, in a tradition of classical literature, something about golden age, about people of the past as heroes and uh, people of the of today are not uh, not up to them. So you 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 used it uh, as well, a device for a story. Well, actually, not so conscious. I had to use it so conscious. Well, yeah, I, I think understand I just that, but... use it as a good story, actually. But of course, you can see in that perspective, you know, uh, the perspective of the golden age in, in Bergen and so on. Mm-hmm. So yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> And there are no real, like, heroic actions in the book, except for the Jackers when he dies in Himalaya, and it's going somewhere far away, and we do not actually see it. Uh, So, again, this uh, world without heroism, this world where the, like, uh, not-so-heroic action of Axel is is seen by his fellow Norwegians as something like heroic act and getting more and more. Is it uh, some feature of the modern world where there, there is no place for heroism or is, is it just in the, no, in the novel? I didn't, I didn't really understand the question. Can I oh, so, so, okay. <laughs> Characters in the book, they do not uh, do anything heroic and the, no. on, yeah. the only two heroic actions is first the Axel killing a Nazi officer, which is actually not what it uh, what people around him think. It's just an accident yes. and so on, and the second one is the death of the of his uh, son in uh, Himalaya, yes, yes, which is yes. actually not exactly in the book. It's somewhere far away, out of the frame, some, somehow. Do you again, just as previous question, do you think that in the modern world, in the modern like European world, there is no place for heroism, or it's just a good device for the novel? Well, I don't really know because, you know, as a modern author, I'm not so interested in heroic behavior. <laughs> I'm more interested in, in, in non-heroic behavior and how it influences on, on the characters and how it influences on the family life uh, generations afterwards. So it was kind of, you know, what, what I was interested in when I was writing the novel. But probably it's like somehow connected, probably if you lived in, uh, say, I don't know, 18th century or 17th century, you would be more interested in heroism. Yeah, because there was there was more heroism around. Yes, but you know, with also a optic in way in which you look upon reality. You know, I think that heroism is more like a, there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of reason. I think the heroism has met reality in kind of the 20th century in many ways, and you can write novels with you which, where you are, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, um, where you just have heroic characters is uh, not interested for the readers, and not I don't think it's so interesting for for the authors, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you basically say that uh, heroism is not really interesting. No, not for me as an author, anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> why? Why is it so? Well, it's, uh, you have a lot of more. Uh, there's a lot of. I think there's lots of more good stories in. Non-heroic behavior, and maybe also you know I have a well I had grown up myself in a family where you know my fa- grandfather was a prisoner in Norwegian or in a German concentration camp, and and it kind of you know, maybe also in my own childhood you know mm-hmm. people you when you read about heard about people sitting in German concentration camps they have to, often been there for more heroic reasons you know 
freedom fighters so, mm-hmm. and, and so on. But uh, I was interested in that story, you know, a story about how being in a concentration camp without uh, having a, 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 a background and how it influences uh, the family with, 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 with the kind of darkness mm-hmm. and shame and guilt and so on. And it's also my, my own family stories, of course. Story, of course. Because, like, in their uh, American, like, screenwriting classes and literary classes, they often teach that, like, heroic action, they open the character better, they uh, show better the nature of, uh, like, inner nature of people. So you you basically are not agree with it. No. Uh, well, anyway, you know, not of characters have small heroic actions, you know, in the middle of all the other stuff. But, well, I think uh, I've had myself quite a big sympathy for people not behaving perfect, not being special, erotic and so on. And I think it's, Dorky it's, uh, is a novel where this kind of, I try to get this kind of sympathy for persons that are not at the surface anyway, erotic or behaving very well or behaving like you should behave and so on. Uh, that's actually uh, it was the next question I was going to ask you because I read a review in some newspaper, English or American newspaper, I do not remember, and they wrote that the novel is good, but you do not feel sympathy for your uh, characters. I was quite surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you, you do have sympathy because it struck it struck me as a very strange notion. Yes, it's talking to this. <laughs> well, it's talking to I, I I think I remember the review. I have read it some years ago, I think. Yes. I myself feel that you feel a great sympathy for sympathy yes. for virtually every every character in the book. Yes, and that's my own opinion, of course. And I, well, Dog is a novel that I've been reading it, you know, on, on kind of trying to have warm feelings and, and sympathy for my characters, all the characters, even though they're behaving not quite well all, all the time. So it was kind of, you know, the, the, the forces that drive me to write an novel or something that I was aware of doing all, all, all the writing forces. But of course, you know, you can, uh, a novel has always been read different by different reviewers, of course. Yeah, that's yeah. true. There is no, no much heroism in the book, but virtually every character in the book is very eccentric. They are always like doing some uh, eccentric actions. Again, do you personally think that uh, eccentricity is important thing in life? Is it important? Is it uh, good to be eccentric, even if it goes in the way of happy family life? Well, actually, well, as actually, regarding you know, family as a quite normal family, you know. Uh, you, 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 you yourself said it's uh, grotesque realism. So uh, yeah, grotesque realism. I have a special preference for the grotesque aspect in family life, but still, you know, I think uh, if you look upon. Uh, any ordinary family, you know, we have a lot of stories like this, and I think it's also one of the success, the reason for the success of the uh, of the novel that many many readers can, you know, can find uh, this connection to their own family life, and it suddenly begins to begin think about all the ecstatic and, and and dysfunctional aspect of their own family life. So in this way, I actually think that the family life is quite normal. I think don't think that the normal exists uh, actually, really. <laughs> But still, uh, the question remains: Is it like, is it good thing to be eccentric? Is it uh, add something to not not to just books, but to real life? Well, I don't think you should be eccentric you know, just for being eccentric. <laughs> no, I don't just think that normality is a quite 
well, there's a lot of aspect of what is normal, and uh, I think uh, actually it would be quite uh, not so normal to be not being having kind of eccentric behavior sometimes or other in your life. That was the answer. <laughs> would you yourself prefer to have a very eccentric grandfather with a lot of stories uh, that he can tell that that can be told about him, yeah. or a grandfather who is I had a very boring life, but it's very loving and caring one. Well, I think if you have to be a good, uh, for being a good author, I think it's a, it's a good thing that you have a, 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 out of an eccentric family with a lot of eccentric stories in it. But I think in, if you want to have a good, safe childhood, you can turn down for the eccentric uh, a little bit, I think. It would be, be, be a good idea. But is it uh, is it important to have a safe childhood or some... Uh, degree of danger is uh, probably like beneficial well you know you have to have a degree of danger in every childhood there's a degree of danger in every life and you can't really have a childhood without even how uh, even if it's very safe and very structured family you know there will be some unsafe and some 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 dangers in a way so i think you have to learn to deal with the danger of life and 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 the unsafeness of life and you probably have to start already in the childhood, <laughs> I think. I've read that your next novel that you published in 2010 is about some dangers of childhood. Uh, could you tell more about this novel because it wasn't yet translated in Russian? No, it's called Sumo Brothers. It's, called, it's a kind of a childhood uh, story. And it happened, the main, well, it's, you can say that Dawkins and this Sumo Brothers is kind of books about the thing, you know, family life is central in each it's, it's kind of dysfunctional family is a kind of main themes in, in the novel and, and, and childhood also stands very central in both of the novels. But the big difference in between the novels is that my new novels is, is switched from a, have an 11-year-old narrator. That means that you have, have tried to make a, a, the readers could, should have a, a, the experience of that it's an 11-year-old child that is, that is telling the story. So it's put a lot of, of, of it's, it, I need to tell a story that's quite different because you have an 11 year old boy telling the story. And so I had to, I can, and it's only spanning one year since the, from, from the beginning to the end. So it's quite, the setup of the story, the two novels are very different from each other. But you know, the, the action and the, and the themes in the novels are quite, quite similar. And it's also a, a novel that is inspired by my own childhood and especially by my own memories of my own childhood and how it was to be a boy in, in my childhood neighborhood and so on. So uh, there's the same you know, connection between mm-hmm. reality and fiction in the new novel and in Dorcas. Do you feel it easy for you to write from the point of view of uh, an 11-year-old child? Because for me it's always quite... When I thought about it about books written from a uh, perspective of a, ch- of a child, I always thought that I couldn't do anything like it myself because I always would be afraid that my, like, my adult experience will meddle it. Yes. So was it, was it easy to remember? Was it easy to get into the shoes of this uh, small child? Well, it's not easy to remember and easy to find up come up with the stories and all the episodes and so on. But, you know, to find a special, uh, you have spent a lot, lot of time, you know, 
taking you know, the adultments out of the of the teller, the voice of the storyteller afterwards, because there are always a lot of you know adult way of thinking, adult way of of analyzing different things and so on that I had to get out of the novel after I read the first draft of it. So I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, to get the voice of the, of the narrator clear and 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 11 year olds. <laughs> How how uh, what is the proportion uh, between writing and editing for you? Like how long do you write a book and how long do you edit a book after it? Well, I, I actually uh, I spent a lot more time uh, rewriting and editing a, a novel than I spent uh, writing the first draft. I think Darkhead took me nine months to read from uh, to to write from the beginning to the end, and then I spent uh, almost four years rewriting it. And editing it, and it's a it's a result of my my writing method. You know, I, as a, I think as I told, I have a quite intuitive and analytic writing method. That means I don't have so many ideas before. The ideas pop up during the writing process, and that means that the first draft is uh, is uh, not an, a very finished novel. So I have to spend a lot of time rewriting afterwards. And I think it's almost the same with with my new novel. Uh, the uh, main character, well, not not my, the main character, but the narrator of the dog hat. Uh, he's probably the only only single character of the book. So, did you think about his future? Does this family line, like male family line, end with him, or will he be able to overcome this dysfunctionality of his family? Did you ever think about it? He's the narrator. The narrator as a person is a guy who is telling the story in the dog hat. He's the only single character. He doesn't have any wife in the book. Yes, yes. Uh, so, and I had, I had an impression that it's because the family was so dysfunctional, he couldn't really find his own, uh, like, uh, his own place, his own... He do- doesn't know how to create a functional family. Yeah, you, you as I can see could create a functional family to your daughter, but this narrator, did you think when you were writing this book about his future, is he going to have a family after all? Like, what, what was your idea, or you didn't ever think about it? Well, I think, well, I didn't really think about it, if he's going to have a family, you know, because I don't know so much more than he's <laughs> written in the novel, but I regard Dorkhead as for the narrator, what's concerned the narrator is a, is a kind of therapeutic aspect in, in this situation. He's, he went, he went, he escaped to Amsterdam and he returns to Denmark in, in to retell the family stories. And in this retelling, which is Dorkhead, the novel, I think, uh, is able to deal with the demons of his family and the demons of his own childhood in an in in, in non-escaping uh, way, which he has practiced before. You know, he's just before he has just tried to escape from from the family from the family stories, and he realized when he, he realized when he starts to tell the story that it's not he's not able to to escape okay. from the family stories anymore. So you know, he returns to tell them, and I think that uh, uh, well he big therapeutic aspect in that situation for him. So did, did you think about his future? It's, it's not in the book, but when you wrote it, did you think what will could happen to him in the future? Will he find some wife? Will he be able to build a good family and so well, on? You... After telling the novel, after, after telling the family stories uh, with, uh, and conf- 
confronting himself with his family stuff. I think he will be able to it. I mm-hmm. think, yes. Uh, you, <laughs> I tried to get some information for, about you on this article in uh, Danish Wikipedia, so I do not read any Danish, but I found there that you write some, as I understand, like graphic, small graphic novels or comic books. Is mm, it true? No, picture books for children. Picture books for yeah. children, yeah, yeah. Could, yeah. You, could you tell a little bit about them? Because uh, there is no information either in English or in Russian about no. it. No, actually, I, well, I was starting to write for adults first, and then after I had I wrote uh, Darkhead, before it was published, uh, mm-hmm. in the in-between between the rewriting uh, episodes, I was sitting down, and I was, after having uh, having... Uh, as I, I wrote so much about child children for adults, it was quite natural to me to start to write for children as well. So I actually, you know, actually talked the that, that got me into uh, the picture books. <laughs> and in one of the picture books is one of the stories on Dorkhead, uh, the story where the jockey is sitting under uh, the kitchen sink drawing small monsters when his uh, his parents is arguing. I took that story and I rewrote it so it, it could fit into the children's universe. And I, so it was kind of, well, all the children's books are inspired by by Dorkhead, or what Dorkhead that, that started me, get me started to, to write for children as well. Are they uh, fairy tales or are they uh, more like real life stories? As well, it's kind of, also, it's a, there's a special mix between you know, something very realistic, you know, fam parents arguing a lot, you know, dysfunctional families, and then, you know, the, the imagination, uh, the, the vitality of the childhood imagination, of the child's imagination, that kind of, we find some solutions about very um, realistic family problems. Mm-hmm. So a little bit like, like Dorkhead, maybe. <laughs> Just for children, you know. <laughs> uh, what do you write now? What are you writing now? Well, actually, I have spent a lot of time, you know, do some uh, promotion for my new novel in Denmark. Uh, but I'm, my new novel actually uh, was a part of a bigger, bigger family saga. That you know, there was one level in the novel that I was mm-hmm. interested in more and more, and then I cut it out and I wrote a novel in that level. But I still have, you know, maybe two, three hundred pages of, of of a family saga that that is, you know, more a little bit more complex than than Docket, actually. Uh-huh. Yes. It will be some kind of continuation of this last book of yours. This universe, yes. And I, uh, after, you know, after I have this uh, this big narrator voice, voice in the docket, you know, narrator that knows everything and so on. And then I had, afterwards, I wrote, wrote, a, wrote my new novel in a, from an linear old perspective. And then I felt a need, a feel a need to get back to the more to a narrator that, know, that, that can do a lot of more things and know a lot of things and do a lot of things, yes. <laughs> so I don't know when I will be finished. I think I'm not a quick or working author. <laughs> I'm very slow. <laughs> Can you imagine a novel about functional family? About like a good good novel about fam- families uh, that like has a very good family life. Is it possible? Well, I don't think it's possible for me to write. I mean, not. I think uh, uh, it's yeah. possible. Yes. Well, um, yes, probably. But it would not be interesting for me to write such a novel. I mean, uh, actually, when I, I think I will be afraid to be a little bit bored while writing it or while reading it. I should read it. 
but it would probably be a possibility to write a good novel uh, from that perspective as well. Because I thought of it and I couldn't find any novel or movie except uh, except just one about a good and functional family. So, well, there's not so many. <laughs> yeah, I just I I can think about only uh, about no novels at all, and I can think about just one movie. It's Adam's Family. That's it. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I wonder if if it's really like if it's really possible at all. <laughs> I think it's difficult. It's, I think it's very difficult. You know. <laughs> Maybe it's possible. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for the interview. And when I will be transcribing it, probably I will have to write you with uh, two or three questions, if you don't yes. mind. That's fine. Okay, That's thank fine. you very much. I hope yes. they will uh, translate your last and next books in Russian, and I will read them. Uh, I will really looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Yes, yeah, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.